It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On the 15th of December at the Camden Powerhouse in London Town. Well, not Santa Claus, but me, cabaret legend Lenny Beige, as I host my very special Regency Rooms Christmas Extravaganza. It's an old-school variety show with some of the names that made my club the talk of the town and some of the very best new acts working the circuit today. Plus, there might even be a household name or two thrown in for good measure. Add to that a band of world-class session players, and you've got the greatest Christmas variety show out there. There's literally no show like it. Tickets are from £25. Just visit ctickets.com. That's ctickets.com and enter Regency Rooms and get booking. Right, hello and welcome to Footballistically Arsenal. I am Boyd Hilton. Josh, psychic, psychic Josh isn't with us this week. He is, um, he is not available. Um, I'm sure he'll be back next week. But coming in to the first team um, is the one and only uh, Footballistically Arsenal superstar, Alan Elger. Hi, Alan. How you doing, Boyd? Good. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Very well indeed. I say good. I'm a bit tired because I was up at um, till about three thirty watching Succession on um, uh, season finale last night. But I'm fine. I'm absolutely fine. I haven't got into it. You oh. you highly recommend it. I've seen your tweets. Yeah, so you need to get on board, Alan. Give it a go. I, I will I think you'd enjoy it. Um, so it's just a one-on-one. It's one of it's it's a, one of our rare. It's like as I often compare it to um, Elsie and Dot on EastEnders. Um, Ethel and Dot. Ethel and Dot. Sorry, you're right. Elsie, Elsie, yeah. Elsie is different. In fact, Elsie was at the football. Dom, Dom Baldwin was there with his daughter Elsie, his lovely, cute daughter Elsie. And it was her first trip to um, the football. First trip to the Emirates. She, and she was. He can come again. I think. I think she was suitably dazzled um, by the whole thing. Uh, so that was good. Um, so we were both there on Saturday. We should say in, in the Southampton yep. cane. Does my first question is 
does our 3-0 triumph against Southampton on Saturday at the Emirates rule out, cancel out the horrendous defeat of last week, um, not so long ago? Well, <clears throat> the problem with that, and I'm, I assume you're talking about the Everton game. Sorry, the Everton game, yeah. Um, the problem with that is that Everton was soundly beaten again yesterday. Yeah. And if you look at their last 12 Premier League fixtures, they have two draws and only one win and nine defeats. And, and obviously that one win was in that game uh, against us. And again, and, and I'm not making excuses for Arteta here, but, you know, the highlights DVD of bad decisions since he's been our manager that have gone against us are, I mean, it's getting longer by, you know, you, you could you could fill an hour with the bad decisions that he has somehow had against his team out on the pitch. Uh, the old interpretation of VAR, where they looked and looked and looked and looked and made sure there was something there. You know, I'm, 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 the biggest case of that, I'm thinking, is um, uh, Louis, David Lewis at, um, at Wolves, you know, where they tried to make out he touched the player. Uh, I think he had a similar one at, at Man City. Now they've been told, because of the Euros being so successful, you must make decisions very quickly. Uh, the guys that are looking at the video are going to look at it as you continue play or get ready to restart play, and we're going to try and keep the game flowing. Now that they're not looking for anything obvious, and it has to be absolutely blatant, we're still not getting things that you could even call blatant. So um, I, I, I really think that Everton game needs to be looked at under that microscope with the fact that for some bizarre reason, Mikel Arteta has been one of the unluckiest managers we've ever had in terms of bad decisions. But there are a few things from that Everton game that weren't in the sort of in the gift of the referee. And I still think we failed in a lot of areas, which must have either been instruction or the players not listening to him, which is, which is a, a, you know, a massive thing. Either way, that's a big thing. And, uh, and I approached the Southampton game thinking that we would be fine. I, I didn't think it'd be a vintage performance. The first 20 minutes. Wow. I mean, it yeah. was dicey because uh, they could have been know, 3 up, yeah. They, yeah, they had lots of chances where if we'd have been playing a better team in better form, we'd have gone one or two down. And then it really would have been difficult. But praise the character of the team because once we got that goal, and what a great goal, you know, what an amazing team move. Once we got that goal, it didn't look like Southampton would creep back into the game at all. Yeah, And I think, you know, the team do deserve credit for that because that's, you know, that's 70 minutes. Just, just, it's just that Southampton had their period of pressure all, all at the start of the game. So it made it look a bit skewed in that sense because we were all panicking, thinking, you know, we've got to get a grip on this game. Um, they came there without, you know, with a third choice goalkeeper, uh, fourth and third 40 years old, 40 years old goalkeeper. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, a fourth and third choice centre-back pairing and um, holding midfielders that wouldn't necessarily play that deep. 
uh, Ward Prowse wouldn't necessarily play that deep as, as deep as he did because of no other options for them. So look, all those circumstances there, you've got to beat what's in front of you. A 3-0 home victory is, you know, a huge tick in the box. But I don't think it allays any fears that we have about Arteta's management. But it doesn't pile anything else on the we need to look at this pile either. So mm. just re- just on the um, on the first thing you said with the um, the Everton game being the latest example of decisions going against us, VAR. I mean, first of all, in that game particularly, they had, I mean, Everton were pretty unlucky with their two disallowed, their goals that were offside. I mean, they were offside, but they were fairly, do you know what I mean? They, I mean, they, they, they would consider themselves unlucky that they, that they, that those were, that happened, you know, they were very. objective cause. Sure. Oh yeah, no, no, I know, I know, I know. But my, so my question. cause that right. against. Sure. So they could have had a player sent off easily, couldn't they? Yeah. In that, yeah. In that game. Oh, completely. Yeah. Yeah. But are you saying, but just to clarify are you, you're not saying that these decisions that have, that, that have been going on for a long time that have gone against us are some kind of conspiracy? You, do, do you, or do you? Or do you? What's the explanation? I, I really don't know because I, I was saying, you know, on previous appearances on this podcast and in my in my Guna column, it's not just a few little things where you're happy to put it down to the the ebbs and flows of football. And, oh, you know, we've been a bit unlucky there a couple of times. I think, and, and I'm not saying it's a conspiracy against us, although you do have to, you have to have that in, your, in the back of your mind because I, I can honestly say there are at least 20 incidents, maybe approaching 30, where I think we've had the wrong decision given against us and it's impacted games and it's impacted prem, the Premier League uh Premier League performances, obviously VAR is, is, is majority used in, in, in the Premier League rather than the cup games that we play in. And I just think that we've, we've suffered at the hands of the worst interpretation of the old way of doing things and the new way of doing things. And, I, uh, and I'm not one that ever used to make excuses about referees and, and decisions because I do believe that it at least evens itself out or you're not left with a deficit too much either way. I genuinely think we've been left with a deficit of maybe 20 to 30 bad decisions. And that has to be unprecedented in the, in the lifetime of the club. Has to be. Yeah, I mean, that is... That is but, what, but what is the explanation? <laughs> like, it's, I mean, it's... Are we the kind of, te- are we the kind of team that... Refer- I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think it is. I think it's just coincidental, isn't it? I just think we've been on the... Yeah. We've been on I mean, the- I, 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 I referee... Quite a lot. I mean, it's obviously kids football. It's not the pressures of the Premier League and 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 you know what you get given as a, as a Premier League referee. You know, you're listening in your ear. You've got uh, obviously the linesman speaking to you, VAR. You've got the fourth official. You've got the TV companies telling you when to kick off. I mean, there are you know loads of other factors going on, but I don't think anyone sort of sets out to be biased when they referee a game. It just wouldn't it wouldn't be worth it. it, it yeah. In in any sense, but. I do think that referees take a certain attitude against Arsenal and they maybe have that as a preconceived idea of what we're like as a team Mm. before Mm. they start the game. And they might not admit to that and it might even be a little... Subconscious. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Because I think they do... I think they maybe are... Maybe they are influenced by the old... 
Arsenal are weak. You know, they don't they don't like challenges. They 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 um, you know they aren't strong when they're on the pitch, and and maybe challenges that are against us are seen as as exactly that that we've been a little bit weak in the challenge. Mm. I still think that's obviously completely wrong, but it might be an explainer for some yeah. of the it's interesting, yeah. things that just get completely overlooked. But VAR is meant to stop that because it's not; it does take it out of the moment for the ref, and they are able to look at it. And I don't see how you can look at the. I mean, there were two. There were two really poor challenges. You had the 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 stamp and the the follow through high foot. Um, possibly two reds in that game, mm. and we've definitely seen similar uh, situations interpreted as reds in the Premier League in the last year. Mm. Um, I mean, we're I, just not getting the rub of the green with those with those decisions. I think a lot of the VAR decisions, as you say, that, that where they've changed it from last season's kind of... They will, they will study anything and they will change the referee's decision no matter what they're, they're very relu- they're much more reluctant aren't they and that I mean over the weekend there were loads of penalty decisions weren't there which I think favoured the big teams it's, it struck me um, yeah. that, that, that were VAR, that VAR should possibly have, have intervened in or changed the mind of the referee um, which last season they probably possibly would have done so I think it's not just us but I do agree with you I think maybe we're one of the Arsenal's one of the few teams aren't there I think that has a reputation um that is very easily identified, isn't it? It's like we, yeah, yeah, yeah. the way, and it, it's when you look at pundits on TV, the way that you know the Gary Nevilles and the Jamie Carragher's of this. Like Jamie Carragher, whenever he's whenever he doesn't ask them much, I think it's really interesting. He always says, "I'm very, I'm very, I defend Arsenal," you know, against all the critics. But we all know what all those critics are saying, and so yeah, there's definitely is that that kind of idea that Arsenal are kind of weak, slightly lily livered, slightly kind of um, brittle and... Oh, yeah. I mean, I can I see think, what... Yeah. I think the referees might have it in their heads. I think yeah. they might. And yeah. just as they're... I mean, they're only human. Yeah. yeah. Back to the... Back to the um, Southampton game, though. I thought it was interesting because I, I... I'll be honest with you, right? The first... Uh, that first... Well, I do think um, they could have been 3-0 up quite easily, Southampton. They had some good, decent chances and we were absolutely terrible <laughs> to start with, I thought. And... I was, first of all, I thought the team selection, you know, I, I think I, 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 in, in our WhatsApp group, I messaged saying, you know, unchanged, because considering he played so well with this team, I thought it was weird that he didn't change it at all, that he stayed with that team. And of course, in the end, they won. It was fine. But I thought to start with, I felt like it, we played exactly the same tedious approach to football as we did in, in the Everton game. And, you know, they were passing it around the back, you know, Xhaka and, oh, it was just like, the old horseshoe backwards passing, sideways passing, not getting anywhere, while, while Southampton were being quite incisive and direct and more powerful. And I expressed that, and I think just as just just as the, of the move that ended up with our goal, with the first goal that Lacazette scored, was underway, which was, ended up being, we're passing it around the back a bit, and then, of course, with three or four incisive passes, perfect passes, really, and they had to be. I mean, they were just, you know, the goalkeeper was just about to be dispossessed, wasn't he, when, our, uh, you know, Ramsdale, etc. And And we scored that goal, which ended up being a brilliant goal, and everyone was, oh, this is a beautiful goal. But I don't know. I mean, it was a brilliant goal, don't get me wrong. But part of me is like, well, that is it, slightly annoyed because that is Arteta ball, isn't it? Like, that's what he's trying to go for. Yeah. That kind of perfectly executed 
move. And I think that's just misguided. I just think how, and it is very rare that you're going to get that kind of goal scored like that. I would say, you know, the vast majority of the time, you just, especially when we play it, you're passing it around the back and sideways and, and more often not conceding possession or it going off or for a throw in, or it just doesn't work like that very rarely. So it seemed incredible that we scored that goal, but I don't think it necessarily disproved the theory that Arteta's approach to attacking football is kind of misguided. Yeah. Um, I think, um, Tim Stillman, who um, obviously is a pretty well-known Arsenal fan, Stilberto on uh, yeah. on Twitter, he calls it the Goldilocks uh, effect, effect with uh, Arteta's football in that it needs to be just right. And, you, and I think you're exactly right in describing that move. The amount of people around me that will say, "Oh, don't knock about, don't knock it about there," and then all sort of turn into whoever they were with, laughing. <laughs> Yeah. 30 seconds later because the ball's in the back of the net and when you watch it back on match of the day and um, you know you you look at the highlights of the game you think wow that you know Arsenal really knocked it about well there but you're dead right in saying in the 20 minutes prior to that moment there were a lot of misplaced passes in exactly the same fashion and it was only that Goldilocks moment of everything being just right that meant that we did actually score from that situation um, and a better team might have been one or two up. A better team might have stopped it. And, it. and the weird thing was, it was only when Southampton had overcommitted because they thought they were going to get something out of the game that that actually occurred in the 20th minute. Because when it was happening before, they didn't have the, the number of bodies up there. Mm. You know, I think uh, uh, Tomiyasu made a misplaced pass. Xhaka made a misplaced pass. Partey made a, a really bad one going backwards towards White, who then... Uh, he compounded that by making an even worse pass to the side. But Southampton weren't committed forward then. And you almost think maybe they got the shout from the sidelines. You might get a bit of joy here if, we, if you push up, push up a little bit more. And uh, in, in the 20th minute, they were, they were heavily pushed onto us, giving us lots of pressure. We got out of it. And it reminded me a little bit of the goal against Man City in the, the cup uh, semi-final. Uh, some way back, which was City right at the, you know, right at the close point of closing us down and the ball gets played and it is a good pass. And that happening five or six times is so unlikely. And that me- means that the majority of the time you're going to be watching that kind of thing with, with those moves breaking down. But he wants to persist with it, as you know, as, as we saw. He definitely wants to persist with it. And, and, he can get away with that when you're winning 3-0, but if you don't look like you're on the front foot and slip a game 2-1 at Everton, it's exactly the same thing. It's it's yeah. you know, it's for the same reasons, but it's worked out with a totally different outcome at the weekend. Uh, I think I mean I used to say on here, we used to have the debate about players and we say I think, you know, we've had a, a decade of players where you could make a very good highlights reel to make them look amazing. You could have a highlights reel to make them look terrible. The truth is they're probably somewhere in between. I think now the whole team encompasses that view where you could, again, make, you know, you could show the highlights of that goal and say, oh, we've really got it together. We're doing what we expected from a, a Wenger team back in the day. Uh, you know, sharp, intricate passes, passing the ball into the net, uh, uh, making football look simple. But really, in reality, that 90 minutes wasn't football looking simple, and, and nor was the, the 90 minutes against Everton. 
and prior to that. So, um, yeah. you know, you look at other home victories against poor teams. You know, you look at Newcastle's results since we edged them at home. We probably should have should have won that by more if we want to be classed as a, a a top four team or even fifth or sixth in in the league. Because you know, you look at what Leicester did the other day. Uh, Norwich, you know, obviously they're, they're suffering heavy, heavy defeats. Um, and that doesn't look good in context that we only managed to beat them 1-0. So it is hard to be overly optimistic. But, you know, when I was a kid, I used to attend not so many games at Arsenal. So I'd probably only go four or five times a season when I first started going when I was six or seven. And to me, the, the league position was never in my head. It was just, did you turn up today? Did you win? And I'm sure Dan Baldwin's daughter feels exactly the same about her yeah. experience that day. It Dom, doesn't matter. At... Dom's, Dom's daughter, I should say. Oh, sorry. sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Um, you don't know that. His, yeah. Dan did bring his two sons, actually, I should say. Um, yeah. Harry um, uh, and Chester. So they were those. It was a full family. It was so a full Baldwin family occasion. Yeah. So those kids go home just knowing yeah. that Arsenal won three 0 that day, and yeah. that will be their experience from the game. And it's only when you get to, to being an adult and you realise the context of the result and how does that look in context of a, so you don't enjoy it as much. Do yeah. You? I, no. I mean, I'm pretty sure during some of those terrible seasons in the early '80s, I would go to a, an Arsenal game uh, with my dad and my uncle, and we'd, we'd maybe win two 0 We probably lost the previous five games or the next five games. But you still enjoyed it in the moment. And you, I think you've got to get a little bit of that back. And if you're winning 3-0 at home, you have to come up. If you're not coming out isn't of the that stadium slightly, thinking that's yeah. amazing. But that's slightly because of what we've become, isn't it? Like, if, if Arsenal were, you know, it, we didn't think this way, you know, 15 years ago, because when we were really up there and, you know, we were competing with Man United and, we, 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 we you know, no one was going, oh, yeah, we just want to win this game and it's fine. So it's kind of like that's a reflection of where we've come, isn't it? Or how how we've kind of drifted into being a kind of yeah. mid-table I mean, to... The, um, unfortunately, the next stage of that is only wanting to win your big games. Against, right, yeah. You know, yeah. Can, we win, can we win against United and Tottenham? Great. I don't care about the rest of the season. If we go there, I mean, that is a, that's sinking again. Yeah, that's an environment. That, yeah, that, yeah, that really is, uh, you know, sinking again. But yeah, talking of talking we, of Dan Dan's son Harry, uh, Odegaard scored the second goal, his first ever header, I think, yeah. and that's th- three goals in three games. And Dan has a famous, I uh, you know, in a famous anti Odegaard feeling. He's not, he doesn't like Odegaard. I mean, he's not. I'm being slightly uh, simple. Sim- simplistic about it but he's not a big fan put it that way and um i thought odegaard had one of his better games on on saturday and i said to harry who sat next to me i said does does dan go does your dad go on about odegaard a lot at home does he spend a lot of time banging on about he's like yeah he does yeah um <laughs> so that was quite revealing but he was pretty good wasn't he odegaard for hit for, i thought generally scored good header um but he doesn't really impose himself what well, i mean odegaard i guess is a classic example of what you're talking about isn't it where we can't we don't really know do we whether he's good enough whether he's he's kind of you know, some games he has moment great moment. He has great moments most games, but I don't feel like he imposes himself on a game like the best kind of number tens or the best you know attacking midfielders or attackers do. So I'm not convinced myself yet. You know, I think but no. I think for the price we paid for him and for the ease of that deal going through, it probably made total sense to sign him. But you know, who knows long term? Yeah, particular. I mean, particularly because we don't have a great deal of options there, especially if, you know, you're relying on 
two young players to be to be in that in that position during the season, Smith Rowe and, and and Odegaard. Then who else would you really pick there? If you pick Lacazette there in a slightly different role than he did at the weekend, as he did at Liverpool, you don't really get that much out of him. And yeah. Odegaard from a midfield position is now three from three in the Premier League. You're right, he doesn't impose or become a focal point of every single attack like you would expect the best number 10s to do. But um, is that his age or is that his limitation? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Mm, mm. I, I, I don't think you can be ultimately sure about many of the players that we have. I mean, I, I, I still think that, I mean, Tommy Asu's getting lots of praise at the moment. I still think that he might regress to some kind of mean where he doesn't defend as well because it, his, his technique for me, and we're using the word technique again, but oh. I think sometimes he 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 defends in such a way where there's a hell of a lot of luck based on, he runs at the ball so quick that any quick, intelligent player will probably flick it out of his way and get past him. And I, I hope that doesn't happen on a regular basis because it looks like there's a certain way to play him. Um, and I think that happened at at, um, at Liverpool. Um, he's quite. A good, he's a good outlet, though, isn't he? I mean, uh, uh, yes. he's he's way first of all, way better than the options that we had. You know, I think previously last season. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of uh, Hector Bellerin. I've said it plenty of times. Yeah, we know that. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad he's no longer at the club, and Tommy Asu is definitely an upgrade. But. I think if people go so far as to praising him as being absolutely incredible, they might see a little bit of oh, yeah. a regression sure. because of the way that he plays. I just think, you know, an intelligent winger or two will start to realise that he charges at you and you've just got to make a quick move out of the way and get past him. And then and Tierney was a bit like that as well. And for what he gives in terms of his attacking intent and the way that he plays going forward, I think you can absorb that at home against Southampton. You probably can't do that if you're, I don't know, away against a decent team. So mm, mm. I think that's where we might start to find out about some of the players. Um, we'll talk more about the game, man. I want, we've got a big, big uh, issue of Aubameyang to discuss as well uh, after this break. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. And we're back from the break. Um, I do like to be beside the seaside, still banging out that tune um, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the ad break. In and out of the outbreak for no good reason whatsoever. But there we go. Um, before we go on to the Aubameyang issue, 
Uh, Mar- I just want to mention Martinelli because I think what, he's been one of the big positives for me, even even during this you know mediocre run. Um, I think since he's come in, I, I just think he's very he's very I mean, he's kind of just exciting. You know, you think something exciting is going to happen when he's got the ball and more often than not, something vaguely promising does happen. He's very hardworking. And I just think he's been a bonus, you know, um, and, and played a lot better, I think, than, because I, I would say when he's been in and out, he's had limited chances, you know, since that wonder goal against Chelsea, but he hasn't really, didn't really do that much. Did he a lot of the times when he came on as a sub or he'd, he'd have like one game every, you know, few weeks of playing in a, in a cut in a league game. But I think he's, this run he's doing really well. Yeah, I completely agree. He, is an exciting player. He is obviously going down the traditional route of playing wider while he's younger before being able to be a central striker because he does have the skills and the, and the finishing skills to, to possibly be that central striker, as you saw with, uh, uh, I think it was the goal against Newcastle, with you know, the incredible finish. But um, he does make a hell of a lot of effort when he's on the pitch, and I think he has the right attitude. And he covered defensively numerous times uh, at the weekend and he's happy to get up and down the pitch and you you hope that there's a player in there that can sustain that if he's given the chances because I think you're right he he his style of play isn't going to suit that 20 minutes here and there cup games I think he does need a long run in the team and establish how you play a wide forward role for a team that you know, if we're at home against Southampton, we're expected to have a lot of the ball and you're expected to not only be an outlet, you're expected to be part of a three that are going to be winning the ball up front. I mean, Lacazette wasn't doing that at the weekend. And that was the interesting difference between Lacazette and Aubameyang being there. When Southampton kicked off and sent the ball back to their keeper, they had all the time in the world. Mm. Whereas with Aubameyang, he's usually right on that keeper straight yeah. away and forcing yeah. that. And you saw from the, from the first five seconds of the weekend that Lacazette, either hadn't been told to make those runs or couldn't or didn't want to. Because immediately it was the two wide players, uh, Saka and, and Martinelli, that, that did that work for him, which meant obviously the keeper did have a bit of a free reign to to, uh, to be kicking the ball up the pitch. And I actually think in a weird way with a, a you know an old keeper like Caballero on, it might have been a, a bit better to have had someone there that was charging them down. But I think what we lost in terms of a Bamiyang, I think Lacazette is just, I, I mean, I, I had that long, long debate, Lacazette or Giroud, a long time ago, two, three years ago, and, and I still maintain Giroud over Lacazette, but a lot of the things I said at that point, I think have definitely been redressed, and I definitely would hold my hand up and say, he's a positive influence on the younger players, he gets on with it, he gets his head down, and he worked really, really hard on Saturday. And a lot of it was sort of almost unseen because uh, mm. it wasn't charging the keeper down, but it was really putting pressure on those uh, that that area between the centre backs and the holding midfielders for for Southampton. And a lot of our success came out of his just his sheer presence there. Some of their misplaced passes were because of that. Um, and 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 I think he he's almost the anti Aubameyang because we don't really ever see Lacazette. Or hear Lacazette moaning. Uh, have, oh, yeah. Am I being selected there? I mean, I don't. No, I think you're right. Being you're like that, right. Even when yeah. he's been left out of the yeah. left out of the team, he's always yeah. come back and just got on with whichever position he's told to play in. And yeah. 
I think that's that's huge credit to him. And yeah, I think, I think his attitude. I owe him a bit of an apology on that front. No, that's nice. I, I think his attitude is, is one of the reasons why I've always preferred him to Giroud in that in that long running debate. <laughs> because I think Giroud was a, frankly was a bit of a prick, you know. And it was like Giroud was the kind of player who'd, who'd sit there in the penalty area, you know, look feeling sorry for himself. That's happened a lot when you know something didn't go right. Whereas. Um, you know, Lacazette is just always up and ready and willing and, as you say, really hardworking. Uh, for me, the, the, real, the, 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 annoy, the really annoying thing is that he played Lacazette behind Aubameyang for, didn't he, for two or three games and he worked really well, then changed his mind. And if, I think it's been since then that this kind of mediocre run has happened because I think the Lacazette and Aubameyang, one behind the other, was, was, was the, one of the best solutions to our issues. Yeah, apart from... Apart from at Liverpool, where you need someone Liverpool, to right. yeah. compliment. I mean, look, I, I, I don't, I don't think you can start basing everything you do in a thirty-eight game season on your most difficult game, which is away yeah. at yeah. a side that you know just hit their peak that day, and we 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 couldn't compete. So I don't think we can judge all of the players or the manager on on that particular day. But I don't think it worked having him there that day. It, could have worked a bit better to have fresher legs in there, uh, younger legs in there that we're going to actually get at uh, Liverpool's midfield because he was in he was in an absolute no man's land between their defence and midfield. And we weren't we weren't even getting the ball to that position anyway. And when when you've got Alex Oxlade Chamberlain running the midfield, you know you've had a bad day. So uh, oh yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. But the Everton game, like he would have, he, you know, I, I think um, that kind of game he definitely could have could have could and should have played and I think we would have been far more effective in that game but talking of Aubameyang then we need to address this whole situation um I uh slightly tongue-in-cheek um tweeted when it when it was announced um that Arteta Arteta came out and told everyone that he dropped him for for disciplinary reasons um which, you know, remember, he doesn't have to do. I mean, you know, people always say, oh, these stories always come out, but they don't always. I don't necessarily think this story would necessarily have come out, but he, he decided to make it public that he dropped him for disciplinary reasons. And I joke, slightly jokingly said, well, you know, I'm not surprised if Aubameyang is going to have a disciplinary moment because he's had to sit there while Eddie Nketiah was brought on when we needed a goal against um, Man United. And that, that was kind of humiliating. I think that that decision was so mind-blowingly terrible on Arteta's part that it felt like a deliberate especially like Eddie Nketiah especially having to play out of position or Bamiang would have been more natural on the wide playing wide where he stuck Nketiah and it was an extraordinary moment and I think it re- for me it felt like a proper like you know um slap in the face to uh, from the from the manager to Aubameyang and I'm not saying necessarily what happened subsequent to that because apparently according to Ornstein David Ornstein and David Ornstein knows these things he went to France to get his mother to bring her back he returned later than expected that's what he got dropped from for for kind of lateness basically which has been an issue I think throughout his career being late for stuff yeah. I remember reading about that before we we transferred him um and so, but I just think, I know everyone's going to say he's the captain, he should set an example. And I kind of agree with that in theory. But in practice, I feel that that moment when Aketi came on, and I think, and, and a few of the other ways that Arteta's treated him, I don't think he should be automatic selection. And I know he's been off form. I still think he's like 10 times the player Aketi was. And I think that was a stupid thing to do by Arteta. I think it's bad management. I think it was bad for the team and for the games. I think Aubameyang was a better 
person to bring on anyway. And I think this has ramifications for what's clearly happening now, this this ongoing issue between um, Aubameyang and Arteta. Am I being, um, I don't know, should I be more just critical of Arteta, Aubameyang rather, sorry, for his disciplinary breach? Uh, I, I think... I think it's on the player, isn't it? I, I don't think he has the mentality to be a top, top level player. And I think he's already written that off in his head. He's in his early 30s now. Um, he's nicked a few cups here and there. And that probably is what he sees himself as in terms of his career. He doesn't play for a, an international team that are going to be on the bigger stages of the World Cup. Uh, he'll obviously go to the, the Africa Cup of Nations where they've got a, a, a sort of outside chance. He's their only real star player. Um, in reality, I think he's settled in that mindset that he is a, a player that wins cups, a, a, a reasonably good team in a, in a, in a nice city <laughs> in London. And I, I actually think there are not many managers just to defend Arteta here, I don't think mm. there are many managers that could shake him out of that. I think that's what he is. I think that's how he sees himself. And I think he doesn't have that ruthless kind of edge that could turn him from... And, you know, look, we've seen him be top scorer in the Premier League. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. And, but you look at the you look at the goals and the, the goals from open play, and that most of the open play goals are against poor teams. They're against poor teams or... You know, he's not popping up with vitally important goals. In the cup, he has. You know, look, I mean, he scored the four, the last four goals of our last cup win. You know, two in the semi, two in the final. So, don't get me wrong, he can perform on his day. But, I mean, he... The, the way he took his penalty against, against Tottenham uh, towards the end of Emery's reign, which cost us fourth place... I thought I thought it was a shocking approach. I mean, he approached the he, he addressed the ball lazily. It was a lazy penalty. It was such an important penalty, and I guess he just shrugged it off and just thought, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't see him have that kind of passion for being any better than he is. I think he just he he knows what he is, and no manager is going to shake him out of that. And uh, I think that that makes him almost impossible to including any long-term plans at the club. And if you can get a few quid for him in January or or later on, I think you have to sell him. I think you have to draw a line under it. Um, so I'm, I'll go further than you and say that he has to leave the club. I mean, I, I, I mean, when you've got when you've got uh, Piers Morgan defending you, you probably know that you've done wrong. Because <laughs> um, Piers what Morgan Piers was say? defending. What did he say? Piers has blocked me on he Twitter, so I don't see him. He said, uh, I, uh, he's blocked you, did you say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Has he really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I've got him. I've got, I mean, he won't know who I am, but I've got him muted, so I don't really see him that often. But uh, he did come across the timeline today, and he's he's defending Auburn, saying it's Arteta's fault and, and that he should be managed differently. But, look, you know, this is a guy that had the pictures done with AFTV, like like pictures of other players scoring against Arsenal. I just think his mindset isn't of hmm. the, the the highest quality that you need to carry his talent forward to be in absolute world class because he does have the talent. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the attitude, I don't think. And he's a happy go lucky 
kind of player most of the time. I mean, when we had him and Lacazette uh, starting that first season where they, you know, mm. they are obviously great friends. And to me, that was, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just, showing, so I'm just showing Alan my framed photo of the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> there was so much joy in that. And everyone yeah. thought, well, you know, these two could be our forward pairing for years, but he doesn't have the ruthlessness to, to, to be scoring regularly in the games we need him to. And, I've looked back through his goals and I think it's only one open play goal against, against the top six opposition in the last two and a half years in the Premier League. And that was the, the, the goal against Tottenham in the, in the, in the three, one earlier this season. Wow. That, that is, uh, I was, that was an interesting stat. I have to say that's, that's very interesting because I would have said, you know, from memory that, before, and it, you know, it seemed to be when he signed the contract, when he signed the infamous contract and suddenly started getting whatever it is, 250 K a week. Um, that he stopped being quite as ruthless and effective as he was. I think there, there were two seasons, wasn't he, when he, he was joint top scorer. He was joint golden boot. Yeah. And, you know, and considering he was well, playing for he, us, he, <laughs> he was, you yeah. know, I mean, with a... Well, he for, he yeah, won on. it one season, then right. he was one behind Vardy right. the season. He missed that right. He missed that stitter on the, on the final day that would have taken yeah. him level. Yeah, but I, my memory of him... In in those days, you know, was that he was we loved him, we absolutely loved him, and and I think this is probably going to play into, play into your general theory that Arsenal, the fans are too um, willing to love, and you know, but I remember being being massively, almost universally loved as as a as a you know, and and a kind of like a a bit of the answer to our to our striking prayers that we've had we had for quite a long time previously, and I think the it became there were issues like where do you, where do you play him because, you, because we were trying to play him with Lacazette, and quite annoyingly, you know. He, very, very rarely did Lacazette play just behind him in a kind of vague four-four-one-one. It was always, you know, all brought wide, blah blah blah. And there was, that was constantly a thing, wasn't it? Which kind of slightly affected yeah. um, him. But I just remember him being um, pretty fantastic, you know, in, 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 at his height, and then seemed to drop off massively since he signed the new, since he signed this new contract. And that may be, I could see, but I can, I do agree with what you're saying. I think your description of him is hard to argue against when you consider that he seems to be. He seems to be happy being a superstar, like a very famous star who's, you know, kind of loved, you know, by a big section of the Arsenal fans. And I guess in Gabon, you know, everyone there, um, rather than, as you say, coming up with the goods when you really, really need him to as a striker. And, and that, that is that. I mean, it's hard to argue against that. I have to, I have to agree with you. Um, I can see him not them not selling him though because if if you if they if they try and get some money for him in January who's going to buy him and people keep saying Barcelona but can they afford his wages? Um, I think that has to be a big question. I'm not sure if there's much of a many people are going to be clamouring for him. Is he 32? I, I can He's see 32. people. Yeah, 32. I can see him like as they're staying till you know. I really can, especially the way we run things. You know, I'd be I'd be slightly surprised if if they did sell him. Um, and especially because I can't see them, who they're going to, you know, are you saying then, then we would then rely on, you know, Lacazette, Martinelli? I mean, surely Eddie, Eddie and Niketi, they must be trying to sell him still. So I just think, well, I just I think, think we, we need a proper, the striking department has suddenly become a real problem, hasn't it? Like for us. Well, I actually think the, the Enketia decision can only be based on putting him in the shop window. But right. in some ways... I don't know how that stacks up against getting the result in the here and now, as you oh, said. You know, if he's sitting on the bench and you're thinking, 
if he comes on and scores a goal here against Everton or, or United, it will look good to those kind of mid-table clubs that suddenly think an ex-Arsenal player is the answer to your prayers. It isn't. Look at Everton and Awobi. Yeah. Uh, look at Welbeck and people like that. You know, if if our players that we pass on, if we can get good money for them and, and have done down the years, then it, it, it's almost a badge of honour to have come out of our youth team, even though it's only recently that that youth team has started, started to deliver. I'm going to end it on a positive to say that Balogun looks outstanding. I mean, he, this, we've had years and years and years of hype, and I can reel off a few of the names, and you could probably add your own to it, but uh, J. Emmanuel Thomas, Sanchez Watt, Huber Akpom, we've had players that have ripped up that reserved youth level of the club and the under-23 level of the club, where, I mean, even Nketiah did as well, where we think this is the next big player for Arsenal, um, look at the goal scoring record, and it's never ever been sustained into the first team. But Balogun has a different aspect to his game, and I'm hoping that the way we took a chance on making Saka and Smith Rowe huge parts of our team, just as it looked really bleak last season, hand forced his two players that were, you know are going to come in and play, and it worked. I think you know he needs to go for the hat trick there and, and put Balogun in and but see if even, it works with him. But he's not even on the bench, is he? Yeah, I mean, you know, at the moment he's he's he seems down the packing order. And um... but this is it. I mean, he's twenty. I mean, that's he should have had more yeah. first team games. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'd and have him in there. Way, yeah, instead of Nketiah, he's I don't filled see... out as well. Right, boy, he's he filled out. Um, you know, his goals against Southampton. Uh, yesterday, um, if you seek him out online, they're actually he's he's tweeted a few of his highlights. Yeah, actually. I had a look. Yeah, look, yeah, yeah. I saw. Yeah, it, yeah. great. He's yeah. he's filled out, and he's he's you know he's not getting pushed off the ball anymore. Yeah. And there was an amazing penalty one. The game they played at the Emirates, I forget which game. I forget who the opposition was. It might have been Derby or someone like that. Uh, Leicester actually. He t- he, t- he took the ball past the player and won the penalty in the same move. And he's not getting pushed off the ball anymore. I, I, I genuinely think you've got to put him in. Yeah, he, no, he'll I agree. He'll be erratic. He'll be unpredictable. And he'll get minutes in what is another season we're prepared to say to Arteta, show us a bit of improvement. And we're assuming that the guys in charge are going to keep you at the club anyway. So no, I you know, what will, was, yeah. was your best part of last season? Mine was Smith, Rowe and Saka. Yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah. So therefore... If you if you can say that again next season, and then there's three of them on the pitch, and the others all contribute because the signings have been good, and Ramsdale's been good, to me that's maybe the next thing you can hope for, and be positive about. Yeah, and you and hope that they might, that, uh, and you hope they might bring in a, a, a top level manager who can get that team to uh, to further yeah, heights. Yeah, I mean, I, I think. Just looking at the, you know, the organisation and way that other teams play, I think there is another side of managing a team in the Premier League that, that Arteta just hasn't grasped at all. Yeah, and okay, that's yeah. the bit that we're lacking. And it's, it's, it might only be twenty percent, but twenty percent is huge. You know, he, he might have eighty percent of all the, you know, 
every little compartment of being a, a, a good manager in the Premier League, but I still think he's not the full package. And there's, there's a little bit that you maybe just can't learn. And a lot of lot don't get the chance to do it because, I, um, I mean, you saw with Lampard, he won't get a Premier League job again. You wouldn't have thought. Well, same because with Solskjaer. Think, same with Solskjaer. Oh, I mean, I, mean, I, I think Solskjaer's a bigger joke in, yeah. in that respect because he did have the chance. You know, he did have he did have the Cardiff time. He did have the time at Mould. He, he, you know, um, yeah, you yeah. don't get many chances. You've got to... I don't think we ever... I, I mean, there must be an example of it, but I don't think we ever see managers fail so badly in a good, you know, in a big first job that they then are successful. I don't think, No. I think that the perception of you, even by your players, you know, if you come in on a day when you're appointed three years after you've, you've failed somewhere else, the immediate attitude from the players against you, because everybody, everything can be watched now, everything can be looked at online, might be, I'm not going to respond to this guy. Mm. So he's got to make it now, Arteta, and I still think he's just not there. Yeah. I don't think he ever will be. Yeah, it's frustrating. But I, I don't have the same loyalty towards him in terms of him being a, a legendary Arsenal player. Oh, I really no. don't think he was at all. He was um, a legend. Oh, no, I'm, I say this all the time. That's what lived off. Yeah, yeah. Solskjaer was, the yeah, they love, they, yeah, he's a proper United legend, but there's nothing, absolutely nothing about Arteta that... I mean, that, they still love him now. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, that's why I think even, you know, even if at the end of the season we're finishing, we're seventh or eighth, I mean, sixth, seventh, eighth, whatever, I feel like if at the end of the season it's quite clear he's gone as far as he can go, then even so, even Patrick Vieira would be preferable because Patrick Vieira is a legend. I mean, he really is a fucking legend, you know. And I, yeah. I just feel like the... As you say, I think the margins are so small that even though it seems a bit ridiculous to say, I still think like your presence in the dressing room and the charisma you exude, if you are a legend, and clearly Solskjaer, in fact, was quite funny because he was so uncharismatic that it, for me, it like clearly counts that. But whereas Vieira, I feel someone like him, an actual legend of the team, would, com- would command respect and listen to yeah. him. More, way more than Arteta, or just that little bit more than Arteta that could make a difference between seventh, eighth, and fourth, fifth. And so, you know, we'll see. We'll see. But we, we need to wrap it up with, with the game this week, Alan, is like your two teams uh, against each other, <laughs> Arsenal, West Ham. Um, my son even saying to me, who are you going to be cheering on? What yeah. An what an insult. Um, but I mean, l- luckily or unluckily for us, West Ham having a slightly not great patch, aren't they? They, you know. Um, this is a good time to play West Ham. It's mainly around the fact that they, for the last 110 minutes of Premier League football, they've been without their what you would deem their first choice, right back, left back, and both centre-backs. All four of their first choice defenders have been out hmm. the last 110 Premier League minutes. 20 of those were against Chelsea at home, and 90 of those were against Burnley at the weekend in the Premier League. I will say, though, they haven't conceded in any of those 110 minutes, which is bizarre. Yeah. yeah. But you would think um, Cresswell might be back. So he might come in for Masawaku at left back. But you're looking at um, a back four, which will be uh, Kafal, who who had lost his place to Johnson until Johnson got his hamstring injury. And then uh, Diop and Dawson, who had both lost their places at the centre-back. So they're all competent players across that back line. But they are deemed to be sort of second and third choice in, in some of the spots. So 
it, it should be a good chance for us to to get onto them and make sure that we're trying to exploit that. Uh, especially Dawson, because I think he might struggle against the type of players that we we have in the way that we play. But they're all good players, and it's going to be a tough game. I think elsewhere on the pitch they have been uh, outstanding the last the last few weeks. Uh, Bowen is just incredible. Antonio's been a little bit quiet, and and he wasn't that great yesterday by all accounts. So mm. I'm wondering, he you know if he might be dropped or or come off after. 60 minutes, sometimes he does that. They haven't got many options beyond him other than putting uh, Bowen or Yarmolenko there. I think I think this is a good time to play them. And I think if we play like we did on Saturday, barring the first 20 minutes, I think we'll nick this 1-0. Wow. And would you go fourth, wouldn't we? Um, which would be quite... Which would mean we go fourth, yeah. Incredible, yeah. Um, I've kind of got a feeling we'll win as well. Yeah, I've got, I've got a, yeah, I think two one. Um, but I'm excited by the fact that you think we're going to win. That is, uh, that's, um, I mean, that's. That <laughs> I like means to something. Think if I'm going to call, if I'm going to call one result right, it's the two teams yeah, I watch the most. So exactly. I would hope, I would hope I get this right. Exactly. Boyd, you, um, you may, you, you will remember, uh, Josh told you about my interaction with the guy who does the announcements yes 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 um it it was a strange one because he he, pete he does listen to the podcast he heard my and i'm i did listen back to make sure they were constructive rather than uh insulting criticisms of his uh style and and uh the, the way he sounds on there they turned him up a bit more which is great He's got a hell of a lot better. And I think one thing I said at the time, and I want to reiterate, is the fact that I think we're a good club for being able to give young people local to Arsenal opportunities to actually do stuff and and work with the club. Yeah. So, um, and he has been massively improved recently. And uh, I want to give him a shout out because... That's, that's lovely. That's heartwarming. Yeah. What's his name? Um, he's a good guy. He's on he's on uh, Twitter as Pete on pole. His first name okay. is Pete. Okay. Um, I, was, I forgot to mention my. Um, I still had. It's going to be interesting on on, on Wednesday because um, this is the first post COVID Plan B game, isn't it? Where we all have to show our proof that we haven't got COVID either through a, a passport um, or through the through the app through the um, NHS app. Or so showing... I believe season I believe season ticket holders are going to have the opportunity to respond to an and I might have got this wrong, but from what I've seen, respond to an email. Yes, and then it will be uploaded to your card, so that when you go through, you can just breeze through. Yes, Is that right. I've got that email. I've got that email where yeah, I haven't clicked on it yet, um, but it does. I've just say... seen a copy of someone's, and it says you only have to do it once, and it and it it corresponds with your season ticket. Yeah, oh, that's good then. Yeah, okay, fine. So it should be okay. In theory, it shouldn't cause massive delays. That's what so they'll only be checking people that don't have season tickets, I guess. Right. Which would be what thirty percent, forty percent of the stadium, maybe. I tell you what, it does say though. Just to say, it says, please click the button below to submit your declaration. Right. So you fill in this declaration form, and then it says, by making this declaration when attending a game at the Emirates, you agree to bring a valid COVID pass or proof of negative lateral flow test. So you still have to bring that 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 um thing and they're saying they're still going to test they're still going to um not test challenge everyone but there will be spot checks so yeah i mean but really 
it doesn't really matter then if no. you're a season holder. You just you just got to have the app whether you've got you, to have the, you yeah. bought a ticket outside or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I predict pandemonium. Um, I noticed as well that the one of the scoreboard didn't work. One of the scoreboards, the two scoreboards didn't work at all. Having achieved the dream of the two lineups alongside each other in yes. the previous home game, one of the screens was completely blank for the whole fucking game. Was in hashtag Arsenal shambles news, and I must say that I, I had to queue up for fish and chips at halftime. There was a chip shortage in the um, on club level. And it was I really felt sorry for the poor guy doubling them out because people were getting furious. And you had to yeah. be literally waiting there for like, set, watch this. and the poor guy was like, it's not my fault. There's a chip deliverer, you know, whose job it is to deliver chips. I was like, oh my God, this is such classic Arsenal. And he was like, yeah, he was like nodding away. Um, you just feel sorry for the stuff because, you know, he, hopefully he's a local or whatever, but it was another classic moment of, um, of Arsenal shambles that we couldn't get any fucking chips with the fish and chips. And they played, and for some inexplicable reason, after us oh. signing it to the dustbin, they yeah. played Sweet Caroline with 20 minutes prior to kickoff. Oh, sick. Absolutely sick. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, it's that still can't yeah. happen again. No, still major issues with the with with the with the situation at Arsenal in in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Anyway, it's been a, thanks so much, Alan, for joining us um, for this uh, one-on-one special. Pleasure, very enjoyable. And I hope your prediction for the West Ham game is absolutely right. And um, we'll be back next week. Thanks a lot. Bye. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co. .uk Sports Social Podcast Network Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky in line at the deli I guess Ah in my dentist's office more than once actually Do I have to say Yes you do In the car before my kids PTA meeting Really Yes Excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky I never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.